Jason here. Welcome to another edition of Zion ID. Today's episode is titled The 13-Month War. In the book of Revelation, chapter 9, verse 15, it describes the 13-month war. It says, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. For some context, um, this takes place after the half hour of heavenly silence to begin the seventh seal has passed. And this 13-month war occurs after the first woe, which in prior episodes of Zion ID, we've identified the symbolism of the first woe to match what has happened with the COVID pandemic. The first woe was designed to torment mankind rather than kill. Well, COVID killed less than 1% of the population, but its sickness, lockdowns, etc. certainly tormented many. Its health impact was likened unto the tail of a scorpion, a scorpion sting, which constrains the airwaves. Well, COVID attacked the lungs with fluid buildup and inflammation. Then, all of a sudden, in the second week of February 2022, the end of lockdowns and mask wearing and testing was declared by the powers that be. A shift in focus occurred that very week. President Biden predicted that Vladimir Putin would invade Ukraine. He did invade Ukraine, and now we're well on our way with weekly escalations heading towards um, something that is appearing inevitable, World War III. World War III promises to be a battle that utilizes unconventional methods such as cyber, space, and nuclear. Um, there's a book that I recently finished called Putin's Playbook, written by Rebecca Koffler. Uh, she's a former U.S. intelligence member, and she does a great job of describing that Vladimir Putin believes the United States' primary advantage is our satellites. Uh, we have a few satellites that cost like $1.7 billion to build. And what these satellites do from the air, from space, is it allows us to enact precision attacks on the ground. Um, You know, you've heard of some of these attacks in the raids that have occurred in places like Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran. Well, Vladimir Putin has studied this, and it's his belief that if he can jam our satellites or even take our satellites out that the United States military superiority uh, will no longer be superior. Last week, the Pentagon warned that some of our satellites at the edge of NATO countries um, are in the process of being jammed by Russia. So this space warfare is already happening. I'm sure you've heard many of the warnings that because Putin's back is against the wall, because little brother Ukraine has resisted, um, that he might do something crazy, 
like use a nuclear weapon. And then third is cyber. We, um, again, in the book Putin's Playbook, it describes a 15-year process in which Russian, you know, hackers have been able to hack into uh, U.S. infrastructure. And, but they haven't done anything with it. It has only been a probe here and there. Well, Putin has promised his people that when the time is right, he will be able to cause social unrest in the United States through cyber attacks that, you know, showcase our technological vulnerabilities. So, um, society quickly turned from pandemic to war in the same way that Revelation chapter 9 transitioned from the first to the second woe. The second woe promises to, like we mentioned, slay the third part of men. It promises to be much worse than the first woe. These plagues are designed to humble men unto repentance. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, it says, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their theft. So the Lord is giving through John the justification um, for destruction ahead of his second coming. Um, This 13-month war is designed to be destruction of the wicked by the wicked, even unto desolation. For additional insight beyond the book of Revelation, um, I'm going to quote a collection of, uh, you know, modern prophets that were compiled in a book that's called As a Thief in the Night. It's a resource reference book to assist in identifying events of the last years before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, It's compiled by a guy named Roger K. Young. The first quote that I'll read is from President Joseph Fielding Smith. He noted why it is important to study even these unpleasant things. He said, I know these are unpleasant things. It is not a pleasant thing even for me to stand here and tell you that this is written in the scriptures. If the Lord has a controversy with the nations, he will put them to the sword. Their bodies shall lie unburied like dung upon the earth. That is not very nice, is it? But should we not know it? Is it not our duty to read these things and understand them? Don't you think the Lord has given us these things that we might know and we might prepare ourselves through humility, through repentance, through faith, that we might escape from these dreadful conditions that are portrayed by these ancient prophets? That is why I am reading them. I feel just as keenly as you do about the condition, and I pray for it to come to an end but I want it to come to an end right. One of the signs of the Savior's coming that the scriptures have repeatedly mentioned 
is that war and rumors of war would be poured out upon the nations of the earth. Um, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. In DNC 45, it says, Men will harden their hearts against me, and they will take up the sword one against another, and they will kill one another. DNC 63 says, I have sworn in my wrath and decreed wars upon the face of the earth, and the wicked shall slay the wicked, and fear shall come upon every man. Bruce R. McConkie talked about how terrible these wars would be. Those with refined senses find it difficult to conceive of the desolation, destruction, and death that will prevail during the final great battles ushering in Christ's reign of peace. So great shall be the slaughter and mass murder, the carnage and gore, the butchery and violent death of warring men, that their decaying bodies shall stop the noses of the passengers." And it shall be a task of mammoth proportions merely to, to dispose of them. Then shall Ezekiel's prophecy be fulfilled, that every feathered fowl and every beast of the field shall assemble to, quote, eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth. That's Ezekiel chapter 39. And then shall the cry go forth of which John wrote, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, while they're free in bond, both small and great. That's Revelation 19, verses 17 and 18. That all this is an actual literal supper, a horrible but real event yet to be, has been specifically confirmed in Latter-day Revelation. Many of the Latter-day Prophets and Apostles have provided us detailed information concerning this great and bloody conflict that we've referred to as the 13-month war um, in Revelation chapter 9. These include Joseph Smith, Orson Pratt, Charles Penrose, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, George Albert Smith, and many others. Joseph Smith, who had seen in vision the bloody destruction of the Jaredites, as well as the cataclysmic wars that destroyed the Nephites, and who was also personally acquainted with violence and mobocracy, recounted that when the Lord showed him the vision of this future great war, he asked the Lord to close it up, because the utter violence and depredations were so terrible, it made him sick. Um... Joseph Smith wrote of these last wars. The time is soon coming when no man will have any peace but in Zion and her stakes. I saw men hunting the lives of their own sons and brother murdering brother, woman killing their own daughters and daughters seeking the lives of their mothers. I saw armies arrayed against armies. I saw blood desolation fires. The son of man has said that the mother shall be against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, closed quote. George Albert Smith, who had seen a vision of this future war um, soon after he became president at the end of World War II, mentioned this coming war and its effect several times in conference. Uh, from back in 1946, he said, I fear that the time is coming Unless we can call the people of this world to repent of their sins, 
and turn from the error of their ways, that the great war that has just passed will be an insignificant thing as far as calamity is concerned compared to that which is before us. In conclusion, let me say, we are not out of the woods. This world is in for a house cleaning unless the sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father repent of their sins and turn to Him. And that means the Latter-day Saints are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints along with all the rest. For we, first of all, ought to be setting the example. Brothers and sisters, let us go to our homes. If our houses are not in order, let us set them in order. Let us renew our determination to honor God and keep His commandments, to love one another, to make our homes the abiding place of peace. Interestingly enough, I'll stop that quote right there. President Nelson, in the most recent general conference, uh, sounded the exact same doctrines to us that George Albert Smith gave in this talk in 1946. We'll actually read some excerpts from President Nelson at the end of today's episode, but I thought that that was worth noting. Continuing, if um, it will not be long until calamities will overtake the human family unless there is a speedy repentance. It will not be long before those who are scattered over the face of the earth by millions will die like flies because of what will come. Next quote. Wilford Woodruff wrote down in his journal a dream that President John Taylor dictated to him. I'll quote a few of the parts. I was immediately in Salt Lake City city wandering about the streets. In all parts of the city and on the door of every house, I found a badge of mourning. And I could not find a house but what was in mourning. Um, It seemed strange to me that I saw no person on the street in my wandering about through the city. They seemed to be in their houses with their sick and dead, so they were on lockdown. I saw no funeral processions or anything of the kind, but the city looked very still and quiet. The people were praying and had control of the disease, whatever it was. I then looked in all directions over the territory, east, west, north, and south, and found the same mourning in every place throughout the land. Interestingly enough, we have been prepared to fulfill with this portion of John Taylor's vision because we know that in the next pandemic, we will all be in lockdown in our homes and nobody will be in the streets. Continuing. The next I saw, I was just this side of Omaha. It seemed as though I was above the earth looking down to it as I passed along on my way east and I saw roads full of people, principally women with just what they could carry in bundles on their backs, traveling to the mountains on foot. And I wondered how they could get there with nothing but a small pack upon their backs. It was remarkable to me that there were so few men among them. It did not seem as though the cars were running. The rails looked rusty and the road abandoned, and I have no conception of how I traveled myself. Concerning the cars not running, what would happen if the world embargoes all of Russian oil? J.P. Morgan just predicted yesterday that that could happen as soon as next week after the French elections. And under such circumstances, he's predicting that the price of a barrel of oil will skyrocket to $175. 
um, which would put the price of gasoline, you know, near nine or ten dollars a gallon. And so our modes of transportation right around the corner could be taken from us because of this impact of inflation. John Taylor, as I looked down upon the people, I continued eastward through Omaha and Council Bluffs, which were full of disease and women everywhere. The states of Missouri and Illinois were in turmoil and strife, men killing each other and women joining the fight. Family against family were cutting each other to pieces in the most horrid manner possible. Uh, Speaking of Chicago, Illinois, we know that there's plenty of social unrest there. Um, almost the epicenter or ground zero for murders. The next I saw was Washington, and I found the city a desolation. The White House was empty, the halls of Congress the same, and everything in ruins. The people seemed to have fled from the city and left it to take care of itself. Uh, Being in a city, by the way, will be the most dangerous place to be um, during the abomination of desolation Uh, because those who are unprepared uh, will go, will take up the sword one against another fighting for supplies that will be constrained, um, you know, unto death. I was next in the city of Baltimore and in the square where the monument of 1812 stands in front of St. Charles and other hotels. I saw the dead piled up so as to fill the square I saw mothers cut the throats of their own children for the sake of their blood, which they drained from their veins to quench their thirst and then lie down to die. The waters of the Chesapeake and of the city were so stagnant and such a stench arose from them on account of the putrefaction of dead bodies that the very smell caused death. And what was singular again, I saw no men except they were dead or dying in the streets and very few women, and they were crazy and mad in a dying condition. Everywhere I went, I beheld the same condition all over the city. It was horrible beyond description to look at. I thought this must be the end, but no. I was seemingly in Philadelphia, and there everything was still. No living soul was to be seen to greet me, and it seemed as though the whole city was without any inhabitants. In Arch and Chestnut Street, and in fact everywhere I went, the putrefaction of the dead bodies caused such a stench that it was impossible for any creature to exist alive, nor did I see any living thing in the city. I next found myself in Broadway, New York, and there it seemed the people had done their best to overcome the disease. But in wandering down Broadway, I saw the bodies of beautiful women lying stone dead and others in a dying condition on the sidewalk. I saw men crawl out of the cellars and rob the dead bodies of the valuables they had on, and before they could return to their coverts in the cellars, they themselves would roll over a time or two and die in agony. I then went to the Grand Central Park and looked back, and I saw a fire start. And at that moment, a mighty east wind sprang up, and carried the flames west over the city. The stench from the bodies that were burning was so great that it was carried a great distance across the Hudson River Bay and thus spread disease and death wherever the flames penetrated. I cannot paint in words the horror that seemed to encompass me around. It was beyond description. 
I think, you know, hearing this, you can see why Joseph Smith asked the Lord to close up his vision of the 13-month war. Um, But, miraculously, there is hope when things are at their darkest. The vision continues. I then saw a short distance from the river, 12 men dressed in the robes of the temple standing in a square. I understood it represented the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem, and they were with hands uplifted, consecrating the ground and laying the cornerstones. I saw angels hovering over them and round about them also, an immense pillar of a cloud over them, and I heard the singing of the most beautiful music, the words, Now is established the kingdom of our God and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, and the kingdom shall never be thrown down. And I saw people coming from the river in different places a long way off to help build the temple. And it seemed that the hosts of the angels also helped to get the material to build the temple. And I saw some come who wore their temple robes to help build the temple. And the city, all the time I saw that great pillar of cloud hovering over the place. President Woodruff himself testified several times specifically concerning the destruction wars that would come upon the United States in the last days and the reasons why. He said, I warn future historians to give credence to my history, for my testimony is true, and the truth of its record will be manifest in the world to come. All the words of the Lord will be fulfilled upon the nations, which are written in this book. The American nation will be broken in pieces like a potter's vessel and will be cast down to hell if it does not repent. And this because of murders, whoredoms, wickedness, and all manner of abominations, for the Lord has spoken it. Elder Charles W. Penrose wrote in 1859 with particular insight concerning these final wars and the condition of the world which even now exists. He said, Through the rejection of this gospel, which shall be preached to all the world as a witness of the coming of Christ, the world will increase in confusion, doubt, and horrible strife. I think that's happening today. Never has the world been more confused or more full of doubt and strife. As the upright in heart, the meek of the earth, withdraw from their midst— so will the Spirit of God also be withdrawn from them. The darkness upon their minds in relation to eternal things will become blacker. Nations will engage in frightful and bloody warfare. The crimes which are now becoming so frequent will be of continual occurrence. The ties that bind together families and kindred will be disregarded and violated. The passions of human nature will be put to the vilest uses. The very elements around will seem to be affected by the national and social convulsions that will agitate the world, and storms, earthquakes, and appalling disasters by sea and land will cause terror and dismay among the people. New diseases will silently eat their ghastly way through the ranks of the wicked. The earth, soaked with gore and defiled with the filthiness of her inhabitants, will begin to withhold her fruits in their season. The waves of the sea will heave themselves beyond their bounds, and all things will be in commotion. And in the midst of all these calamities, the masterminds among nations 
will be taken away, and fear will take hold of the hearts of all men. Elder Orson Pratt wrote about the future of the American nations. He said, For these great evils they must suffer. The decrees of Jehovah have gone forth against them. The sword of the Lord has been unsheathed and will fall with pain upon their devoted heads. Their great and magnificent cities are to be cut off. New York, Boston, Albany, and numerous other cities will be left desolate. Party will be arrayed in deadly strife against party, state against state, and the whole nation will be broken up. The weapons of the dreadful revolution will devour the land. Then shall there be a fleeing from one city to another, from one state to another, from one part of the continent to another, seeking refuge from the devastations of bandits and armies. Uh, Speaking of that, last week it was reported that there are 17 different gangs near Los Angeles, California, who are now attacking the rich and the wealthy. Anyone who looks rich, they'll follow you with multiple cars and they'll attack you without even saying a word to steal the handbag off of your arm, the clothing off of your back, and sell it uh, for thousands of dollars. Then shall their dead be left unburied, and the fowls of heaven shall summer upon them, and the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them. And it will come to pass that the heavens will withhold their rains, and their fruitful fields be turned into barrenness. And the waters of the rivers will be dried up and left in standing pools, and the fish therein will die. And the Lord will send forth a grievous plague to destroy the horses and cattle from the land. Thus by the sword and by pestilence and by famine and by the strong arm of the Almighty shall the inhabitants of that wicked nation be destroyed. Okay. Um, let's see what we want to read next. In the history of the world, when men have become totally wicked and lose the companionship of the Spirit of God, they have always used any and all means at their disposal to achieve their self-declared goals, no matter how terrible those devices were. Usually these goals include conquering or gaining control over others, which includes their proclaimed enemies and, unfortunately, usually the righteous. Sadly, the Book of Mormon details this time and time again, particularly in the Chronicles of War as recorded in the Book of Alma, the history of the total destruction of the Jaredites in Ether, and the destruction of the Nephites. In these last days, we would be foolish or naive to expect anything different, especially since the Scriptures have indicated that in the days to come, The men of the world will be the most wicked in the earth's history. Governments will be corrupted by absolute evil and power and power seeking secret combinations and the wars will be the most terrible in the history of the world as well. One of the most terrible tools of destruction that is in the arsenals of many of the nations of this world is that of atomic weapons. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 13, it talks about the kingdom of the beast. In an effort to gain control over the inhabitants of the world, causes fire from heaven to rain down upon the world. Could this be a specific reference to nuclear warfare? 
perhaps even a specific nuclear missile attack, modern-day prophets and apostles have warned us that such will be the case in the last days. Bruce R. McConkie said in 1979, It may be, for instance, that nothing except the power of faith and the authority of the priesthood can save individuals and congregations from the atomic holocausts that surely shall be. And so we raise the warning voice and say, Take heed, prepare, watch and be ready. There is no security in any course except the course of obedience and conformity and righteousness. Will the entire nation of the United States be destroyed? No, because there will be places of refuge, places of peace and safety that the Lord will cause to be established for the protection of the righteous. Though the government of the United States might be on the verge of being destroyed, it will be the righteous saints in these gathering places that will continue to uphold the principles of the Constitution from total destruction. Brigham Young said, Will the Constitution be destroyed? No. As Joseph Smith said, The time will come when the destiny of the nation will hang upon a single thread. At that critical juncture, this people will step forth and save it from the threatened destruction. It will be so. President John Taylor spoke concerning the same action. When the people have torn to shreds the Constitution of the United States, the elders of Israel will be found holding it up to the nations of the earth and proclaiming liberty and equal rights to all men and extending the hand of fellowship to the oppressed of all nations. This is part of the program. And as long as we do what is right and fear God, he will help us and stand by us under all circumstances. In previous episodes of Zion ID, we have talked about how there will be a point where the laws of men would be used to vex Zion and the righteous. And that there will come a point where the Lord will withdraw the righteous from among the wicked. And as they are preserved in a refuge or in the holy place, um, desolation will occur. In the aftermath of that desolation, the righteous will return from their places of safety to rebuild Zion, even the new Jerusalem on the American continent. George Q. Cannon spoke as well. The day will come, and this is another prediction of Joseph Smith's, I want to remind you of it, my brothers and sisters, when good government, constitutional government, liberty will be found among the Latter-day Saints, and it will be sought for in vain elsewhere. When the constitution of this land and Republican government institutions will be upheld by this people who are now so oppressed and whose destruction is now sought so diligently, the day will come when the constitution and free government under it will be sustained and preserved by this people. The prophet Joseph Smith stated that one of the reasons for these wars and devastations that would be poured out in the United States would be to prepare the way for the return of the lost tribes of Israel. And now I am prepared to say by the authority of Jesus Christ that not many years shall pass away before the United States shall present such a scene of bloodshed as has not a parallel in the history of our nation. Pestilence, hail, famine, and earthquake will sweep the wicked of this generation from off the face of the land. 
to open and prepare the way for the return of the lost tribes of Israel from the north country. Um, Let's see what else we want to read here. Um, Again, when things are at their darkest, um, the Lord does provide a light and does provide refuge for um, his righteous. The Lord has been very specific in declaring that the only way we would be able to avoid being consumed by these wars will be to flee to Zion and her stakes. For all nations shall be at war one with another, except those who dwell in Zion. Past separations between the righteous few and the wicked majority are well documented in the scriptures. In fact, it is when the wicked cast out the righteous from among them that they become ripe for complete destruction. Amulek, speaking to the wicked in the city of Ammonihah, declared it thus, It is by the prayers of the righteous that ye are spared. Now therefore, if ye will cast out the righteous from among you, then will not the Lord stay his hand, but in his fierce anger he will come out against you. Then ye shall be smitten by famine and by pestilence and by the sword. Through his prophet Samuel the Lamanite, the Lord told the Nephites in the city of Zarahemla the same message. But blessed are they who will repent, for them will I spare. But behold, if it were not for the righteous who are in this great city, behold, I would cause that fire should come down out of heaven and destroy it. But behold, it is for the righteous' sake that it is spared. But behold, the time cometh, saith the Lord, that when ye shall cast out the righteous from among you, then shall ye be ripe for destruction. Yea, woe be unto this great city because of the wickedness and abominations which are in her. Um, Let's see if we want to read anything else there. One important point is that as as things seem to get worse and worse, the righteous endure and suffer through it, living and testifying amongst the wicked until suddenly they are forced to make a decision to either refute their testimonies or flee for their lives, leaving everything behind. It is this sudden transition from enduring persecution to fleeing for their lives that seems to catch the righteous unprepared. Perhaps this is why, as the wickedness in the world continues to increase, we have been instructed by modern-day prophets to prepare for sudden and unexpected emergencies. When catastrophic destruction is about to befall the wicked, the Lord always manages to direct the righteous to relative safety. Though this fleeing to safety is not without hardship, toil, and perhaps even loss of life, it is always preferable to the plagues that afflict and destroy the wicked. As mentioned before, oftentimes it is the wicked who cast out the righteous and cause them to flee. At other times, the Lord directs this flight of the righteous before destruction overtakes the wicked. Some examples of this are the story of Lot and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the family of Lehi, and the first destruction of Jerusalem, and the righteous saints who were told to flee Jerusalem just prior to its total destruction by the Romans in 70 AD. Okay, Um, I think we will finish quoting from this 
um, compilation from Roger K. Young right there. So in conclusion, um, look, in, in each of our individual lives, it's been nice to move on from the recent pandemic. It's been nice to have the kids return to school. Uh, it's been good to return to work, travel, recreation. However, the righteous should be mindful of the doctrines that we have before us. And the righteous should be prepared to respond accordingly uh, when the time comes. Vladimir Putin right now is acting as Gog. Uh, we did an episode on it. He is poised to fulfill the Russia prophecy. His actions um, promise to further disrupt the flow of life in a manner that's consistent with the words and warnings of ancient and modern prophets that we have discussed today. In general conference, the most recent general conference, President Nelson confronted the reality of this 13-month war head-on. Um, I'll read a few of his quotes from conference, and then, uh, then we'll be done. So in his opening remarks, titled Preaching the Gospel of Peace, President Nelson said, Since last conference, difficulties in the world have continued. The global pandemic still affects our lives. And now the world has been rocked by a conflict that is raining terror on millions of innocent men, women, and children. Prophets have foreseen our day, when there would be wars and rumors of wars, and when the whole earth would be in commotion. As followers of Jesus Christ, we plead with leaders of nations to find peaceful resolutions to their differences. We call upon people everywhere to pray for those in need, to do what they can to help the distressed and to seek the Lord's help in ending any major conflicts. So what President Nelson is doing is he's confronting the reality of the 13-month war head-on, and he is counseling the saints, the stakes of Zion, what we should do in the midst of this turmoil. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been needed more than it is today. Contention violates everything the Savior stood for and taught. I love the Lord Jesus Christ and testify that his gospel is the only enduring solution for peace. His gospel is a gospel of peace. His gospel is the only answer when many in the world are stunned with fear. This underscores the urgent need for us to follow the Lord's instruction to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We have the sacred responsibility to share the power and peace of Jesus Christ with all who will listen and who will let God prevail in their lives. And President Nelson went on to encourage young men and young women to serve missions. He said, all missionaries teach and testify of the Savior. The spiritual darkness in the world makes the light of Jesus Christ needed more than ever. Everyone deserves the chance to know about the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Every person deserves to know where they can find the hope and peace that surpass all understanding. May this conference be a time of peace and spiritual feasting for you. May you seek and receive personal revelation during these sessions. Um, so that, those, that's an excerpt from President Nelson's first talk. 
His second talk, given in the Sunday morning session, is titled The Power of Spiritual Momentum. In it, he talked about the trials that we are all facing. You know, interestingly enough, even since the pandemic uh, has eased up a little bit, I've become aware of many people dealing with what they describe to be as the most intense trials they've ever had to go through. And I think through these trials, we're each learning to rely on the Lord for daily spiritual sustenance as the only way to get through. You know, ancient Israel was fed physically by manna from heaven. They ate the manna for 40 years. And during those 40 years, the rule was that you could never gather up more manna than you needed for that day. And if you did, it would rot and spoil. And what the Lord was doing to ancient Israel is he was preparing them and teaching them to rely upon him completely. Perhaps he's teaching us the same thing. Uh, Even in the midst of global turbulence and tribulation, we can learn from the tutelage of individual trial and tribulation as well. President Nelson says, Some trials are deeply private, burdens no one else can see. Others are played out on the world stage. And again, here he goes, The armed conflict in Eastern Europe is one of these. I've been to Ukraine and Russia many times. I love those lands and those people and their languages. I weep and pray for all who are affected by this conflict. As a church, we're doing all we can to help those who are suffering and struggling to survive. We invite everyone to continue to fast and pray for all the people being hurt by this calamity. Any war is horrifying. It's a horrifying violation of everything the Lord Jesus Christ stands for and teaches. None of us can control nations or the actions of others, or even members of our own families, but we can control ourselves. And again, here's his call to action. My call today, dear brothers and sisters, is to end conflicts that are raging in your heart, your home, and your life. Bury any and all inclinations to hurt others, whether those inclinations be a temper, a sharp tongue, or a resentment for someone who has hurt you. The Savior commanded us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. It can be painfully difficult to let go of anger that feels so justified. It can seem impossible to forgive those whose destructive actions have hurt the innocent. And yet, the Savior admonished us to forgive all men. We are followers of the Prince of Peace. Now more than ever, we need the peace only He can bring. Boy, as you read these words of the prophet, doesn't it strengthen your testimony that God lives and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the solution and that the doctrines of the devil... And the worldliness of Babylon will never provide enduring solutions for the problems that each of us are trying to overcome. Um, The gospel of Jesus Christ is truly a miracle. And it is the only path that is eternally sustainable. 
May I underscore this call to action by discussing a concept I was reminded of recently while watching a basketball game. President Nelson gives a really cool example highlighting the power of momentum. And he says that spiritual momentum is, um, can be a positive force in our lives and it can counteract the speed with which evil and the darker signs of the times are intensifying. So each of us needs positive spiritual momentum. We need it first by getting on the covenant path and staying there. Um, He says, discover the joy of daily repentance to gain spiritual momentum. He talks about learning about God and how he works, the power of prayer. Um, Cast Satan's influence out of your life. Please do not follow him down to his gulf of misery and endless woe, even if it's swirling all around us. Be nourished daily by the good word of God. And if you don't, with frightening speed, a testimony that is not nourished daily by the good word of God can crumble. Thus, the antidote to Satan's scheme is clear. We need daily experiences worshiping the Lord and studying his gospel. I plead with you to let God prevail in your life. Give him a fair share of your time. As you do, notice what happens to your positive spiritual momentum. Suggestion number four, seek and expect miracles. Moroni assured us that God has not ceased to be a God of miracles. Every book of scripture demonstrates how willing the Lord is to intervene in the lives of those who believe in him. And it's interesting the examples that President Nelson uses right here. He parted the Red Sea for Moses. Well, in Zion ID episodes, we've talked all about the coming of a modern Moses. So the ancient miracles experienced by Israel from Moses um, will actually be trumped by the modern miracles from the modern Moses. Next, God helped Nephi retrieve the brass plates. Well, we just talked about the coming of the record of Enoch and the coming forth of the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. More doctrine yet to be revealed that can lead the saints to safety prior to Jesus' second coming. And the Lord restored his church through the prophet Joseph Smith, a restoration that Elder Uchtdorf tells us is still ongoing. Each of these miracles took time and may not have been exactly what those individuals originally requested from the Lord. In the same way, the Lord will bless you with miracles if you believe in him, doubting nothing. Do the spiritual work to seek miracles. So President Nelson isn't telling you to avoid these things. He's telling you to seek after them because you're going to need them. Prayerfully ask God to help you exercise that kind of faith. I promise that you can experience for yourself that Jesus Christ giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Few things will accelerate your spiritual momentum more than realizing the Lord is helping you to move a mountain in your life. So if you do have a mountain in your life, maybe it has purpose, and it is meant to increase your faith at a time 
when faith will be absolutely necessary. And then suggestion number five is how he began his talk. End conflict in your personal life. Exercise the humility, courage, and strength required both to forgive and to seek forgiveness. The Savior has promised that if we forgive men their trespasses, our Heavenly Father will also forgive us. Um, so that's it. This is not a time to abandon our foundation that has been built upon Jesus Christ. This is a time to double down on righteousness. Do not fear. Connect to the Lord through covenant and increase your spiritual momentum and everything will be okay.